I am a light kind of guy. Now, not necessarily weight-wise, I guess. I like light. I go around the house turning lights on because I like to have things illuminated. I like accent lighting. I like those lights that people have on their front walks that makes it look like you're walking down a runway. Um, good lighting feels soothing to me. It, it feels warm. It feels good. It, it helps, to get around, helps me to get around in those hard-to-see places. And, and Linda likes light, but she has a different perspective on light. She likes the lights turned off a lot. So in the morning, we have a routine, and she's in the living room. I'm in the other room working on the computer, and I've got lights on in there, and I look out there, and I'm not sure I can see her. She's somewhere out there illuminated by her Kindle, and she's out there in the dark. Linda's not a dark person. She just doesn't have as many lights on as I do. Um, I know now, now, that's exactly right. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to make a transition from that. So, She, <laughs> she is the light of my life, though. Yeah, I recovered, thank you. A few years ago, a number of cars in our neighborhood uh, got broken into one night, about 10 at least. It all happened pretty quick. Broken windows, people leaving their doors unlocked. So about the next two weeks or so, everybody left their porch light on. They left their driveway light on, uh, probably for about two or three weeks. It gave folks comfort and some measure of peace. And I know this next illustration, by the way, is not going to go over well with Duke fans and... um, and, and uh, uh, state fans, but Chad and I went to the Carolina game this past week. We had a couple, he had a couple tickets given to him by a professor, and they were playing pit. And so as we were walking to the stadium, uh, they have all those uh, uh, guys that are standing with the yellow jackets on by the parking garage, just kind of leading and directing everyone and parking and such. And as we were going by one, some guy comes walking out of the um, a parking garage with a pit T-shirt on, and he says to the guy in the yellow shirt, he says, hey, how do I get to the Dean Dome? And the guy just simply stood there with his arms crossed on his chest. He says, he says, just follow the light. And he goes like that. And sure enough, if you look down the road, you saw the Dean Dome hovering above the trees. And everyone was following the light. See, I knew state fans and Duke fans wouldn't like that very well. Light. This is the theme of Jesus' message. You are the light of the world. So let's transition to that. Jesus isn't just making up something out of the blue. That's important. He is reminding his Jewish listeners of their original calling to be the light of the world. I suspect when they heard this, they remembered the words from Isaiah 49, uh, chapter 49, verse 6, quote, I will also appoint you as a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus wasn't creating a new image for his listeners. He wasn't coming up with some new metaphor. He was reminding them of their original calling and inviting them now to live in a very deeply radical and countercultural way. And I'll get to that in a few moments. But even as far back as the prophet Isaiah, Israel was being called to let their light shine in a way that was radical and countercultural. Isaiah, again, in chapter 59, says this or writes this, quote, Isn't this the fast I choose? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry, bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them, and not hiding from your own family? Then your light will break out like the dawn, 
and you will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. You see, for Israel, they were to become a beacon of hope and salvation by showing compassion to the vulnerable, to the under-resourced. And when they took care of those in need, when they didn't look past those who are often invisible in our society, when they did that, Israel was living as a light to the world. And this is the memory to which Jesus was calling his Jewish listeners. He was inviting them to remember their original calling, that of being a light to the world, bringing hope through a heart of compassion for the oppressed, the hurting, and the marginalized, and all the vulnerable in our society. So Jesus' words are, you are a light of the world, a city built on a hill. It cannot be hidden. In other words, Jesus is inviting his listeners to literally come out of hiding. He's inviting his Jewish listeners. He's inviting his listeners. And see, at this point, and I know this is kind of hard to grasp, but it's important, you really did not have a, quote, Christian community at this time. You had a community of people who were living out the Torah. You had these faithful Jewish residents and 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 faithful to the law who were living under Roman rule and trying to understand how do we live faithfully to God but live under Roman rule at the same time. And Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is this new Israel and this new Torah. He is this new way, and he is inviting all those who followed Israel, who followed God, to now follow him. And he says, you are now the light of the world. All who follow me come out from hiding. To come out from the shadows and complicity with the present culture, to come out from hiding behind decorum and respectability and an accommodation to the present system. You are the light of the world. Live like that. Don't hide anymore. Live into your calling of showing the world what shalom looks like and how people can experience that in their life and how they can look differently and live differently and how they can experience wholeness and justice and healing and restoration and righteousness. See, this is why I think what Jesus has to say is so strategically placed and not just at random. The invitation of Jesus to come out from hiding and be the light of the world is right after the Beatitudes. And it's right before the full Sermon on the Mount. It's as if it's this connecting point between the two. So when we come to enter into God's kingdom, if you will, it's through the disposition of the Beatitudes. We begin to shine as lights. And when we live out the radical calling of the Sermon on the Mount, we live as lights to the rest of the world. Lights that illuminate for others what the kingdom of God looks like. So, for example, when we come to God's kingdom with dispositions of humility, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, peacemaking, mercy, completely dependent on God for our hope, and a willingness to suffer some ridicule for our radical faith, we begin to shine as lights. Now, what I just gave you were the Beatitudes right there. That's all. That's simply it. And when we take this disposition and we choose to reconcile with others, to love our enemies, to not retaliate, to not have a spiritual life just for show, and to do to others as we would have them do to us, we begin to shine as lights to the rest of the world. I just gave you about a three-sentence summary of the Sermon on the Mount. In between the Beatitudes, in between the Sermon on the Mount, I think Jesus connects the two. He says, you are the light of the world. You can't be hid. Don't do it anymore. Come out from hiding. Live the disposition of the Beatitudes. Spiritual poverty, mercy, 
hungering for righteousness. Live this out. Come into the kingdom in that way. And when you do, when you begin to love out reconciliation and forgiveness, and when you begin to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you will shine as lights in this world, and people will see what the kingdom of God looks like. I have to ask myself some hard questions sometimes. That maybe our present culture doesn't understand what the Sermon on the Mount or doesn't understand what the kingdom of God looks like is because for so long we have hidden. The faithful, churches. We hide behind respectability. We hide behind busyness. We hide behind activity. We hide behind programs. You know, we hide behind denominational fights. We hide behind denominational divisions. We hide. We hide because we don't want to look out of place. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no more hiding, you're a light. This was your original calling. And now there's a new calling and a new moment. Those who choose to follow Jesus and live into the kingdom no longer hide. Be that light. Back in the 60s, there was an author by the name of Marshall McLuhan who coined the phrase, the medium is the message. Anybody ever remember that phrase? We know who was back in the 60s now, so um, I read about it, that's all. So, <laughs> The medium is the message. In other words, the medium and how it conveyed the message was often more important than the message. Simple as that. The medium is the message. Or at least the medium had a huge impact on how the message was received or heard. So in our case as well, the medium is the message. The message is the good news of the kingdom, of love, of mercy, of wholeness. The medium is our life, how we live, how we choose to be faithful. We are invited to allow our lives to become living messages of the good news of God through our good works. And when we do that, our light shines before others. Let me give you some words of a, of a Quaker, Thomas Kelly. Uh, Thomas Kelly can put together some wonderful phrases and some wonderful uh, sentences, so I'm going to kind of go through it slowly. But just listen to what he has to say. The light for which the world longs is already shining. It is shining into the darkness, but the darkness does not apprehend it. It is shining into the darkness, but the darkness is not overcoming it. It is shining in many a soul, and already the new order has begun within the kingdom of the heart. It is shining in many a small group and creating a heavenly, earthly fellowship of children of the light, and it will always shine and lead many into the world of need, that they may bear it up into the heart of God. I love that phrase, by the way. That it will shine and lead many into the world of need, that they may bear it up. That's you and I. How do we bear up this world into the heart of God. Our fellowship groups are small, but they can be glorious colonies of heaven, cities set on a hill. It is a great message which is given to us, good news indeed, that the light overcomes the darkness, but to give the message, we must also be the message. Maybe Thomas had heard about Marshall McLuhan. I don't know if he had by that time, but he's saying the same thing. The medium is the message. Our life, our life together as a faith community, our meeting, the church, it is the medium, and its life is the message. So what does that look like? 
Another quick verse to get to that point. In Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 38, Peter's given a long message or sermon or explanation to the Roman centurion Cornelius, who Cornelius as a Gentile has just come into faith. And in his message to Cornelius, Peter happens to say this in one very quick sentence. He talks about Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he then says this, he traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed. But I love that phrase, he traveled around doing good. See, I think maybe we have underestimated the power of simply going around doing good. I think at times we've resisted that because people will say something to the effect, well, you know, they're just nothing but a bunch of do-gooders. So when did that become a bad thing? What is wrong with being do-gooders? Jesus simply went around doing good, and in the doing good, he brought wholeness to people. So maybe we've complicated the spiritual journey by trying to have correct belief systems, thinking that will shine the light on the reality of God's kingdom, when it's more about the good words and the good deeds that we do that allows God's kingdom to shine as a light to the world. What if we just went around doing good? Good words and good deeds such as this. Offering kindness and hope. And I know this sounds so, so simplistic, but maybe saying thank you, or maybe saying you're welcome, or maybe saying I'm sorry. Maybe treating others with respect and civility and dignity. Maybe helping to alleviate the suffering of others. Maybe advocating for the outcast and the vulnerable. Maybe providing for the under-resourced. Maybe engaging in reconciliation and forgiveness when necessary. Offering a presence for those that are lonely. Maybe living as peacemakers and peace builders in very tense and contentious situations. Maybe offering solutions and hope amidst the problems and cynicism. Sometimes it's offering our gifts and our talents, especially in the arts, to bring beauty to our world. Sometimes it's just having the guts to walk up in front of a crowd of folks with an Atlanta Falcons t-shirt or shirt with your best friend and to drop some money in a box that you were going to go take your spouses out to eat on. I don't know what you're going to do now, but, but that's doing good. Maybe it's simply helping folks to feel special, valuable, loved, and worthy. Maybe it's showing up at someone's house with food, offering a ride, sitting with someone during their treatment. Every time I hear Bob Donnelly talk about going to treatment, I keep forgetting he sits there for four or five hours a day. He just sits. Maybe there's some people in our life that we can go and sit with them and just take their mind off of it. Maybe it's offering to pray for someone. Maybe it's giving a young busy couple a night off and a date night by watching their kids. Just don't watch them, play with them and interact with them, but you get the idea. But you see what I'm saying? We complicate this. We really do complicate this when it's simply acts of goodness. We go around doing good. And that's what Jesus says. You're the light of the world. And when you're the light of the world, you bring forth good works and good deeds. And that shows people what the kingdom looks like. And in part, it's living out the Sermon on the Mount. Bill Hybels is an author and pastor, and he offers these very sobering words. And um, I have them underlined and, and dog-eared in, in, in the book that I have of his, but it's very sobering. Here's what he writes. It may, it may well be that the vast majority of unmet needs that bring sadness, heartache, 
loneliness, and despair into human lives are merely the flip side of good deeds left undone. Think about that. Think about the incredible power of good deeds. Think about the tragedy of our failure to do them. When it comes to good deeds, God and others are counting on us. If it's in our power to do good, we had better do it. Think about the majority of unmet needs, sadness, heartache, loneliness, and despair that are merely the flip side of good deeds left undone or maybe the rationalization of someone saying, you know what, that really doesn't matter. It's just a very simple act. It's not a big deal. It's not important. I think what Mr. Heibel is saying is it's hugely important. If every one of us, every one of us in this room, this crowd right here, we left today and we made a commitment this week to simply go around doing good, think of all the different other connections you have, four to six to eight to ten people. As they say, do the math. It spreads, and we become lights, and that light begins to shine in a way that brings hope and joy, I think, to this world.